As you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to the latest episode of Dear Founder. I'm so excited for you to meet today's guest. She's the first person I've interviewed who I didn't know prior, yet Rachel Apfel-Glass and I would be fast friends. Besides having numerous common contacts, we speak the same language when it comes to entrepreneurship. Rachel Apfel-Glass is the founder and CEO of Gloss Lab, the membership-based nail studio. She created Gloss Lab when she saw a gap in the market during her years working at a hedge fund, where she found it nearly impossible to fit in an efficient manicure during the busy work week. After the birth of her second daughter, Rachel and a team of experts got together to open the first Gloss Lab location in the Flatiron District of New York. Gloss Lab quickly grew in popularity and currently has thousands of members. The hygiene first, waterless, and membership based studio also features technology enhanced services such as online booking, cashless payment, and contactless check-in and check-out. It's perfect for today's hopefully soon post-COVID world. In today's episode, we tackle not only what it's like to bootstrap a business, but also what it's like to fundraise for one. You'll hear Rachel talk about raising capital so that she can expand her locations from four to 40 by the end of 2022. So come on in. I can't wait for you to meet Rachel. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Rachel. It's so nice to meet you. To meet you. How are I'm you? I'm so excited that we connected. Same. I'm excited wow. to talk to you. And congratulations to you. I have so many things I want to ask you. So, you know, I think the first thing I really want to start with is, I mean, Gloss Lab looks amazing. I would love it in Chicago. Just so you know, I'm just going to put that bug in your ear. The first thing I want you to do is kind of walk us through what it is and how you got here. And I love the story on how you got here because I think as most female founders can relate, you were solving a problem of your own. Yes, 100%. So, you know, I like to say my manicure is my product. I, um, you know, Gloss Up really is changing the game in nail salons and creating a brand in the space for the first time. That's our mission. And I really believe that if you look polished, you feel good. If you feel good, you do good. And I started find, I started Gloss Lab. I worked in finance for 10 years out of business school. And I always felt like a manicure was an errand. It was part of my week. Um, it was something that I had to do for myself to look and feel polished and professional. Um, but I really couldn't find a reliable and efficient solution. So ultimately left to start Gloss Lab. And Gloss Lab really from day one is hygiene first. So think 
waterless services, hospital grade sterilization, all of this pre-COVID. So really, you know, we like to say germaphobe certified, um, membership based, unlimited manicures and pedicures. Um, we have a good amount of subscription based revenue and really focused on efficiency. So same time, Manny Petty, Manny meetings. How do we get you really in, out and back to your day? Um, we have four locations in New York City. We're on pace to open about 40 by the end of next year, as well as launching our full line of products. Congratulations. Thank I mean, you. Four to 40 is a very big deal. And I would love for you to kind of walk us through how that expansion worked. And obviously, there has to be some kind of funding involved. So how did this all come, kind of come together? For sure. So I, I bootstrapped the business to start. I really wanted to show something as, as far as raising money, like really have something in operation already. I opened the first two on my own. So completely bootstrapped and recently completed a round of funding. Um, We've raised about $11 million. And I like to think of it as a party of investors. We have an amazing party of investors adding value from everything from really Titans in the hedge fund industry to the chain smokers to professional um, athletes and and really everything and anything in between. So how did you, I mean, you have a finance background, but for someone who doesn't have a finance background, like I didn't have a finance background, I chose not to raise money. I instead sold my company. But how, how would you explain to someone who doesn't have the background that you have? How do you, how do you go about raising money? What, what are the steps necessary? Like, what are the things that you need to think about? Um, and I think that that's, a lot of people don't talk about it, right? And I think that it, it's something we need to talk about more. Of course, I, I, I agree. I, I actually come from, my background is in hedge fund fundraising. So that, that to say, this fundraising was entirely different after raising you know, many, many millions of dollars for hedge funds. Um, this was an entirely different raise, which much... But you smaller. speak the language. I don't speak your language. Do you know what I mean? So like, which... But it's a different language. You know, the hedge fund fundraising is is raising money for hedge funds. And I think at the end of the day, you are definitely selling a product. Um, with this, and especially with an early stage concept, you're really selling yourself. You're selling yourself as a founder and I look at that even when I look at other companies. I'm who is the founder? You know, there's anyone, there's there can be a million great products, but if someone isn't running this like it's your baby and this is your passion, um, it's not gonna work. Cause no one, as you know, no one cares the way that you do. It's it's not possible. A hundred percent. So where do you start with the fundraise? I with the fundraising, I really started and I've been fortunate to have amazing advisor partners, which have been instrumental in in the fundraising specifically. Um, with the fundraise, I really started with people that knew me as and sort of understood me and understood the concept um, and saw the growth and saw the other partners that were coming into the business as well. Which I think is I, I think that's important to point out because I think a lot of people don't even realize and it's it's one of these things that like being in business for a long time, you know, I know, but a lot of people don't even realize that there are people that are out there that can help you with this. And it's kind of all about just talking to people and asking people like yourself and finding people that can kind of guide you in the right direction. And I think that's, 
it's often a misconception, right? Of like, how, how do I even do this? No one's even going to want to be interested in me. And, and it's really putting yourself out there, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, I think of investors very much, um, you're bringing them into the family. So they're coming in and they own this business right alongside with me. Um, I've been very fortunate to have this, like I said earlier, you know, this, this great group of investors, but you want, it's important both ways. You want investors that are coming in that are going to be really helpful and instrumental in the business beyond just the capital. I got off the phone earlier this morning with an investor who pinged me and said, do you have five minutes? Had someone come into Gloss Lab, had a not great experience and wanted to walk me through all the feedback. That's invaluable. That's someone who's 100%. who's on our team. Let's, how do we make this better? What can we do? Um, and that's, 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 to me, that's how we're going to build this business and get there that much faster. And you want people who are all in and not just monetarily. I totally agree with you. 100%. Talk to me a little bit about your pivot during the pandemic, because I, it seems to me like it helped to create another revenue stream for you, which is amazing. But I mean, you are a service-based business. You started in 2018 and here we are, March 2020 rolls around, you're in New York and New York shuts down and you think it's only going to be for a couple of weeks. We all did. And here, here we are 20 months later. How, what did you do and how did you navigate this? The pandemic, I think, was obviously hard across the board. We, as an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur, I think of times of disruption as also times of opportunity. So despite all of the very bad things, I also felt like there was a lot of opportunity. For Gloss Lab, our ethos from day one, starting in 2018, was clean. Everything was hospital-grade sterilized. I, I say that the tools are like going to your dentist's office. They you are ahead of the curve. Ahead <laughs> of the curve on that. So we did have closures. We were fortunate that we were able to support our employees. Our employees were able to return when we opened, even in a restricted capacity. And I think upon reopening, one, the, the demand for nails was there. People wanted it. Manicures are, are very recession-proof. It's something that you're sitting at home, you want a manicure just to feel good, to, to have a pedicure, to, to look at your own toes. It's not as much about um, the outside world seeing you. And we also had the advantage of really having this ethos of hygiene and cleanliness being built in from day one. So none of this was really new outside of, of course, the COVID precautions, we, which we added upon reopening, temperature checks, masks, et cetera. However, our technicians have worn masks since day one. We've you know, used hand sanitizer since day one. That's been part of our service. Um, so none of that was really new. I love how you talk about the manicure being kind of COVID proof because I, the very last thing that I did before the world shut down, um, and I talk about this all the time, <laughs> I had had strep throat that week and I didn't leave my house from Tuesday to Thursday, like up until the 13th. Right. And on that Friday I went out, I ran out to go to the grocery store and I had a no chip on my nails. And I was like, you know what, maybe I should just get this removed because I don't know how to remove it. And I was just going to like remove it. Right. And then be on my way. And I sat down at the manicure 
at the manicurist, the salon. And I sat down next to a friend of mine and she was like, oh, just get your nails painted. So I had them put on just like some SC ballet slippers. And I always say that was like the best thing I did before the pandemic because I would have died had I had this no chip manicure on my nails and been unable to remove it. And then, you know, here we go like four weeks into it and through work, I'm getting, you know, nail polish sent to me from many different people who all of a sudden started carrying products. And that was something you guys did is you, you put together kits, didn't you? We did. So we, we did start products, which um, we, we were launching product anyway, and we're launching products starting in 2022 in a much bigger way post-funding. Um, but we did start products during COVID. We started a gel eraser product, which is something we use in store. And then we started, I like to call it the Manny Rescue Kit. And it's really just a exactly for COVID purposes, but also for travel. It's something that you put in your bag to take with you. It's a top coat. It's a coat that's similar to an SC Ballet slipper type of color. Um, a sheer pink, a file, a clipper, just sort of the bare essentials of what you need to take to take your mani or fix your mani anywhere and everywhere. I mean, obviously products are a natural extension of your service that you provide. I mean, it's an obvious next step, but like, how did you know, like how to do this? Like, how did you, like, do you have scientists? Like, who did you go to? Like, how did you know to kind of put these products together? I and mean, that's like a big undertaking. It, it is a big undertaking and I really didn't know. It was using my networks. I have an amazing female founder network who I can reach out to and say, hey, I have this crazy idea. Does anyone know XYZ? That's how I got in, for, in touch with um, the chemist that we use to create our polish. And that's been, that's been instrumental, but it's I don't, I don't think many people know when they're starting out. It's just sort of how do you find out resources? How do you find out even some of the products that we have, exciting new products we have in our pipeline now? They're not, th- some of them are not things that exist. It's just, can we make this and let's try it? Let's find a way. What would you say are some of the best resources that have gotten you through this whole experience? I mean, to your point, I, I, I'm glad that you said that. And that's why I asked that because people don't know. You don't know. And I think like, a lot of us are just like flying by the seat of our pants. And I know I told you at the top of our conversation today, like there's no book for being a founder. There's no blueprint for being a founder. So like, how do you know how to do things? And, and oftentimes I think people coming into new business feel very lost and feel very alone. And I think it's so important to share that like, of course, like no one knows what the F they're doing, right? Like really and truly most founders don't. And it's a fly by the seat of our pants type of thing. So like what resources have helped you and are, have proven to be invaluable to you? I, I think that a lot of it is, is focus. So it sounds silly, but as founders, you're pulled in a million different directions. There's so many lanes. I have a hundred lanes going on at one time, customer service, marketing, product development, everything in between. Um, But really staying focused. What is the one thing today that I can do and only I can do, and that can get us to our end goal of where we want to be with this company? I try. It's every day that doesn't happen, but it's it's really staying focused on sort of that one thing per day and also focusing on things that really I can do that other people can't do as the founder. Um, and how do you sort of hire people and surround yourself with partners, advisors that can do things that you can't do or can do things better than you in certain areas? Um, 
so you can focus on the things that you do best. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my favorite small business tools, Canva. This tool is like having a design pro in your back pocket. From social media assets to one-sheeters and even video files, you can legit make anything on it. I've been using it for years and I don't know what I ever did without it. To get started with Canva, go to partner.canva.com slash dearfoundher today and check out more of my favorite tools on my Instagram at Lindsay Pinchuk. Let's talk about your team a little Like who does it consist of and how did you make those hires and how did you know who were going to be the right people to join you on this journey? Our team is still very lean, even with funding. Um, I, I think of the funding... Thank you for saying that because I think a lot of people have misconceptions. Yes, very lean. Um, we've sort of... I've taken the approach of hiring as we really need to and filling in those gaps. Our team is focused on on the corporate level, store opening, operations, marketing, customer experience, and social media. Still very lean. Our team will grow, but we're keeping it, you know, really trying to keep um, the growth focused on the business and and being, I don't want to say scrappy with the team, but keeping the team lean and using some outsourced resources where we need to. I think scrap, I I don't think it's a bad thing to be scrappy, even when you have your funding, you know, I mean, I think even after we were acquired, we ran kind of lean and scrappy. And I, and I think that that really speaks volumes to you as a founder and knowing what is best for your business, Mm -hmm. you know, and and knowing how to move it forward in the right, in the right way. Talk to me a little bit about, about marketing, because obviously there are a million nail salons in New York. You know what I mean? And you offer, you offer things that many don't. And like I said, please come to Chicago because I will be your first member. I mean, I need, I need you. I need this. I need something reliable. I don't have a reliable (laughs) nail place here. I've gone to many. Um, especially in the suburbs. But talk to me about how you reach out to clients and how you find new clients and what are the strategies and how has social media played a role in that? So we, as I mentioned earlier, I, I had bootstrapped the business. So for the first two years of Gloss Lab, we did zero marketing, Z- nothing paid. It was com- completely word of mouth. So it, I was going to say it wasn't paid. So what were the like grassroots word of mouth strategies that you used? Or was there no strategy? It was just... There, there was no strategy. There was marketing um, didn't exist. It was word of mouth. It was, thankfully, we have a product and a service that that influencers want. So it was great organically that people came in and told their friends, members, influencers. Um, I would say that's still a big piece of it today that organically we've gotten um, some amazing... Are you paying influencers or no? We are not. I thank you for saying that. And again, I, I think not enough people talk about that because I think it is important. You do have a product that people want. And I think that it's important for people to use it organically and recommend it organically because they will as they have, right? Yeah. And that has probably come back to you tenfold because yes. you haven't compromised on that and you haven't decided to pay people to come get a manicure. Yeah. So we have we people ask, right? Yes, they do. We we recently started digital marketing, um, and that's really with the launch of our new locations. So, to pre-sell memberships before we launch locations, that really just started. It's been very successful for us with our new with our most recent launch on the Upper East Side. We pre-sold with um, many members before even opening our doors. And they probably um, heard from 
your other locations and from people on social media, right? Exactly. So that, that has been great. Um, but outside of that, we, um, we, you know, we're, we will do marketing when, when we have product and we really are just getting our toes wet as far as marketing. Um, it's something that we've been fortunate for a lot of, a lot of the buzz um, to really happen organically. You have a membership-based model. Can you come in once and try it before you become a member or do you have to become a member first? How does it work? It's, our revenue is about 50% membership. So okay. 50% are members and 50% are a la carte guests. So do you find that a lot of a la carte guests convert to memberships? A lot convert to memberships. And what do you think it is that gets them to kind of push over that hurdle? The reason I started the membership model was because it just made sense for nails. It was something that I was doing every week, sometimes twice a week if I had a chip nail. It just lent itself to a membership model. And that's how I started. So what we find is we do have some clients where they they don't get nails as frequently. And for them, a membership doesn't make sense or they're from out of town. Um, but for the most part, a membership model, if you're typically getting your nails done once a week, pedicure every week, every other week, the membership model just, it just makes sense. What do you recommend to others who are, are looking to instill a membership model into their business? Because I think, I think oftentimes it can be tough. And I think that people make mistakes. I mean, I, I had a membership model with Bump Club. Originally, like we had this like paid VIP program that went through various stages and we made a lot of changes over time. What, what would you recommend to someone who is looking to have that recurring revenue stream? Because I think that if done right, it can be a huge upside to your business. I think if done right, it, 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 I agree. It can be a huge upside. It also creates a community. We have a community of members. We reach out to our members for feedback, for ideas, for products, what's working, what's not working. No one is going to tell you that like members because they're not just stopping into your store once in a while. They're coming in every week, sometimes twice a week. So they're going to tell you what, what they like and what they don't. Um, everything from polished colors to nail treatments to add-ons, et cetera, every detail. I, I can't really speak for other businesses. For nails, the membership model works. It's something that is just, I think it has been so badly needed in this industry. Um, and it's exciting to see it as, um, you know, as just sort of this like aha moment of like, yes, this, may, this makes sense. This is so much easier. I don't need to pay every time I come in. And I want to make note because we didn't, we didn't say this at all, but all of your locations are cashless as well. Everything is cashless. Which goes back to the sanitary component and is amazing. Yes. You can think about it too. Like there's so, think about like the service industry. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I go in to get a blowout or a manicure and yes, I'm paying by card or even, you know, by tap or whatever, but I still have to pay cash for a tip, right? Exactly. Exactly. And especially with a manicure, your, your nails are wet. You don't want to dig into your bag for, for money. Something you just brought up that I think is really important is community. And I think um, not enough businesses value, understand the value of having a community. And you would think like it's, it's a nail salon, right? Like you come in, you get your service, you leave, like what kind of community really needs to happen there. But you hit the nail on the head when you said, like, we talk to them, we have conversations with them. Talk about that process 
And let me know, I, I want to know kind of how that works and like, what is the process of communication with your community and how do you instill community in them? Because community isn't just them feeding you, it's you feeding them as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it really starts with communication. So talking to our members and our, and all clients, but our members, engaging them, telling them what's new, what we're doing, why we're doing what we're doing, just talking about it. Like our, our services are completely waterless. Why are they waterless? Water's a, a breeding ground for germs and bacteria. Um, water changes the shape of your nail. So the polish actually doesn't apply as well. And explaining that, they become advocates right back to us for the brand and advocates to others for, for Gloss Lab. Um, and there's, I think there's other pieces of community that are, they're just sort of harder to build. But once you have them, I love walking into a Gloss Lab and seeing people in this small city of New York, but seeing people see each other at Gloss Lab and say like, oh, you're a member. I'm a member. I didn't know you were a member. Like it's, it's, it's such a great moment of just this community naturally unfolding. I love it. I, I, am a, I am a huge proponent for community. My business was community-based before I sold it. And so hearing that you are seeing the value and you are finding how important it is in a nail salon, I think is just that that's a big lesson for people who are listening to learn. Because one of the things that I tell my clients, no matter what their business is, I mean, I have a granola company that I work with and we are working on building her community online. And it's, I just think it is so important to have that surrounding your brand. And over time that will come back to you 10, 20, a hundred fold. Right. I mean, there's nothing more valuable than the feedback your community can provide. Yeah. hundred percent. The other thing I want to ask you about is you brought up the importance of being a founder and you know, people trusting you and they're investing in you. And it's not just obviously your investors, it's your clients as well who are investing in you, your company and you. Talk to me about being the face of this company and kind of how you put your own personal stamp on it and how you show up and how, you know, you kind of get the word out there as you, as you, the founder of Gloss Lab. I I think of it that I started Gloss Lab because I felt like there was nothing in the nail space that was really for the customer and about the customer. And now having the business on the founder side, I still really try to stay the customer because I feel like it's just so important to keep that mindset. So when I walk into a glass lab, I try to walk in as a customer and say, how, what is this experience like for me? What can be better? What's bothering me? What, what can make this as good as it can be? Um, it's hard because when you know what the back room looks like and everything that goes into building the space, it's hard to stay the customer. But um, that, that's really my goal every day from everything, from our marketing to our customer experience to every piece of the business is staying the customer. What would you tell yourself five, six years ago knowing what you know now? I would have told myself to just start. That I got in my way so many times. I still get in my way all the time. As I'm we, sure all do, right? we all do. But to just keep working on yourself up front is invaluable. And what would you tell other founders who are just getting started? I think it's really important for people who are listening to walk away from this conversation with a few actionable tips that they can take 
things that people can do that, that they don't realize that they can do to help themselves and to help their business grow? I, I like to say that I, I start small. So when I was doing this, when I started the idea for Gloss Lab and was still working at a full-time job, I made a goal for myself of doing three things a day that I could do little things. When I was first collecting the data on the nail salon industry, there was very little data. I would hire task rabbits to stand outside of nail salons and count the amount of people going in and out and what services they were getting. That was how I collected my data. That's why I made my first model. And it seemed insane at the time. It seemed silly. But it was one little step that here I am a few years later that that's what what got me started. So I think it's those little things in the beginning. And it's just putting ideas into action as well as doing the work on yourself. But that would be my advice. I want you to talk to me about the process of having a full-time job and starting something. I think a lot of founders, especially female founders, think they really they need to quit and they need to leave. And I also started my company while pregnant, while at my job as an executive at the Hearst Corporation. And people thought I was nuts. Like I would come home and I, and I was pregnant and my husband would fall asleep on the couch and I'd be sitting there on my computer, like doing my, my business. And I love what you said about doing like a couple things a day, because I think that people get real impatient and they think it's like all or nothing, right? Like, it's like, I have to quit and give it all up. And talk about this process and talk about how you managed having a full-time job and starting this. I, I think it's really important for people to hear. Yeah, I had I had a full-time job and after having my second daughter and working in finance and traveling to multiple cities every month, that wasn't working and that was also hard to add, you know, a, a side hustle to. I think that it's you're fully capable of working on something on the side while at a full-time job. I don't I can't say as to when that right pivot point is, but I do think like I said earlier, there's one thing. So it's really, if you're able to focus on your job during the day and have this one thing that you're working on in a small way, great. I think there comes a time when you really do have to pick one or the other because I, I don't think you can do too what many. What was your pivot point? What was it? Was it was it that you had your second kid and you were like, I'm done? Like, like what was the aha? Okay, and I'm ready to launch this. I worked in finance after having my second daughter. And it was month after month of doing something every day that wasn't bringing me enough joy. And I ultimately left. And when I had a minute to, to breathe, um, I, I decided to really take this next step and start Gloss Lab. What are your daughters? They're young, obviously, but what do they think of this? And, and how do you want them to think of this as they grow up? I love having something that my daughters can see and understand. When I worked in finance, it was mommy going to an office. And now it's, um, you know, it's, it's something that they can really see and understand. They, they're seven and nine. They go through phases. Sometimes they love manicures and sometimes they don't want to hear the word manicure for a long time. Um, but it, but it's, it's really exciting to, to have something that's so tangible for my kids. I have two girls also. They're eight and 11. Okay. So I know that like, it's been so important for me to show them that they can do anything and that they need to be happy. And I made my change, my second change recently. My first change happened 
before my kids were born, when I started my company. But when I recently left my job, I, to your point, I wasn't happy anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was time to move on. And my unhappiness was affecting them. hundred percent. They can feel it, right? Yeah. They, yeah. But when I was in finance, I would come home. I felt like it was the worst hour of the day for all three of us. I was exhausted. They were exhausted. My husband was exhausted. And it was affecting all of us. And I think if you can be happy, it's so much about that quality of time with your kids. Um, even if the quantity is less, but the quality is good, I, I believe that's everything. Yeah. And I mean, like you, I want my kids to see me happy and ultimately be happy themselves. And I love that you shared that. So thank you, because I think a lot of times also founders don't really let people in on the whole mom aspect and it is who you are and it is important to your DNA and to your brand, personal and professional. So thank you for sharing that. But what's next? Like what's on the horizon? Like what can you share? What are some goals that maybe are in the pipeline, but not actioned, executed upon yet, you know? Yeah, it's, we're growing, as I mentioned, our four-wall business. So we're expanding beyond New York City to suburbs of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, um, as well as Miami and D.C. So we already have multiple leases signed in both Miami and D.C. Um, I want to see a gloss lab on every corner in, in, in many cities across the country, um, as well as we have a really exciting product line launching of polish, hand cream, foot cream, and really everything in between for nail, hand, and foot care. Um, beyond that, I just really, our goal is to continue to build this community. And I, I always think of a manicure as so much more than a manicure. I think of it as empowering. Like I said at the beginning, you look good, you feel good, you do good. And continuing to, to do that, one, I guess, one manicure at a time. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. This has been an amazing conversation. I have a feeling I am going to be saying I knew you when. <laughs> I, I, I am really excited to see what comes, what happens, and what's next because you are onto something amazing and it is going to be huge. I can feel it. I can feel it from you. And so you should be incredibly proud of yourself. Um, and I want to just thank you for sharing your story with me and with all of our listeners. So um, thank you, Rachel Glass. All right. Thank you so much, Rachel Glass, for being here today. You're going to want to follow her at glosslab.com and on Instagram. Instagram at glosslab. Okay. Um, Make your appointments if you're in New York and I will be jealous because I would like a membership. (laughs) I would like a membership. I would, don't forget about Chicago because I will be your founding member here. I can promise you that. Rachel's story is pretty fantastic, isn't it? She is the true definition of a founder in every sense of the word. Rachel gave us so much to think about with today's episode. Some key takeaways include, number one, advisor partners are instrumental when it comes to raising money. Number two, investors are like family and you want them to be right alongside you. It's important that they feel as invested as you do and that they're able to help guide you with more than just the capital. Number three, Times of disruption are times of opportunity. Number four, it's okay to keep your team lean, be scrappy, and to hire people as needed. Number five, creating a community is key. You can reach out to them, your members, and ask them for feedback on anything. They are invaluable. Number six, community starts with communication. 
engaging them, talking to them, educating them. All of these things are behind every bit of success to Rachel and her team. Number seven, she started the business with herself in mind as the customer. Now as the founder, she needs to stay the customer because it's so important to her that she keeps that mindset. Number eight, start small. Make a goal of doing three small things a day to move your business forward. I cannot thank you enough for being here and for joining us on today's episode of Dear Founder. Make sure you follow at Lindsay Pinchuk and at Dear Founder on Instagram and join the Dear Founder Facebook community for more discussions to help propel your success. You can also go to lindsaypinchuk.com slash freebie to download some of my tips, tools, and resources for starting a business and for managing the social media beast. We have some amazing guests coming up. So please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen. If you know someone who wants to start their own business like Rachel or who started a business or who has an amazing idea for a business, text them this episode or post it on your Instagram. Tag me at Lindsay Pinchuk and I'll reshare some of those to say thank you. I'll be back next week with another episode of Dear Founder. Have an amazing week.